Hello and welcome to the 3H2 Humans Mastermind Symposium of Infinite Possibility Radio Show. Each episode, Lynn and Mustachio will explore continuums of meaning, varied perspectives, and thought seeds to place in the garden of the mind. Who knows what will grow? So sit back, stand up, drive or jog, whatever the motion may be, we are here to support each individual's journey to define health, happiness, and a humble perspective during the information era. Enjoy. Greetings to all. Today's episode, number one, season one, is about pish-posh words. This episode was recorded quite some time ago, back in December of 2014, New Year's Eve day. It's now April 24th, 2015, after the launch. That's right, this is our first episode since the launch. So here we go, it's happening. (laughs) So today's episode, our first episode, our Big Bang is near and dear to my heart. This episode covers as concise as I was able to at the time present the many ideas that much of my understanding of how the world works is a part of. So gosh, Mustachio, this is a bit of a, a tongue twister for me. It's so hard, I think, in terms of pictures and feelings, I, to translate it is difficult. They're pish-posh words, pish-posh concepts, key components I've learned over time that uh, conscious attention is given to these items. Conversation and overall communication is dramatically improved and enjoyed for me. <laughs> this is from my perspective. And I'm curious to hear what everyone has to say about this, especially the you part. There, uh, Mustachio and I had talked about sending emails to 10 of our favorite podcasters and asking them about the you thing, figuring out where other people stand in terms of using you to mean several different things. It's very confusing for analytical Spock Vulcan minded speaking type humans such as us at 3H2Humans Mastermind Symposium of Infinite Possibility. Pish posh words and other pish posh conversational train wrecks. I will go ahead and run through the list. (laughs) We've been much better with lists now. So here we go. In this episode, we're going to cover the word you. What does it represent? being conscious of self-descriptive tense and why words are chosen. Pish-posh words to omit. There's a list of 20 words. There's an explanation as to why these words are best omitted. I would strongly recommend, at minimum, to put these words into conscious attention. In the episode, we talk about autopilot mode, where oftentimes words selected are selected through a subconscious as opposed to a conscious process. A big part of this episode is to to flip on the manual control just for a little bit, for an hour or so, and dive into the deeper meanings of what words mean and why we as individuals select particular words. Volume of voice. Be cognizant of tone and expressions. Oh gosh, the other day buying an appliance, the guy was yelling at me. I I imagine... uh, he may listen to headphone music a bit too loud or something. It's, it's startling sometimes 
being out in public. <laughs> All right, so volume of voice. Be cognizant of tone and expressions. Be cognizant of it. Put it into conscious thought. Many of the things we do as humans are a part of this subconscious process. Biting nails, for example. Speak in the pink zone. Hear words equal logic and honesty. Both parties involved have tangibility towards the subject matter. The first step in conversing is getting to the pink zone. And we talk about that. Ingest, reflect, and modify for deep level stimuli process. Concise and digestible. Focus on point, objective, as opposed to endless details. And details are okay. I think as a caveat to this, front load the meat and potatoes. Sometimes when I speak to people, I, I, I'm seeking an answer. Let's say the square footage of a room. That's my question. What is the square footage of the room? It is 250 feet over on the right-hand corner. There's a complication with the window and there's moisture. That's fine. But then to reverse that, you know, how many square feet is the room? Over in the corner, there's a window. It's like, don't, don't tell me about the window. Don't tell me about all this other shit. First answer the question and then ramble on about whatever it is. Uh, oftentimes, the way the brain works, the person who asks the question is hung up on that question. So all these words that are being spoken are essentially useless. So this is the, the main reason why I do feel it's important to front load the answer. So be concise and digestible. Focus on the point, the objective, rather than details. Front load the answer to the question concisely and digestively, and then do all the other stuff. Number eight, conscious and subconscious selection of words. Impact on conversation. Number nine, understand the self. Define health, happiness, and a humble perspective. Tell me more versus no, it's not. So these are the topics that we will go over today. And uh, <laughs> yeah, this is a big one. So this is our first episode. It's been a, a bumpy journey and an enjoyable one. Each little scrape along the way has added character. And we appreciate everyone who has helped us and everyone who has contributed to this. <laughs> The, uh, the fruit, the bearing of the fruit, it is here. It would be great to hear from folks <laughs> as, uh, as the unfolded along this journey, we have been searching for mentorship, constructive criticism, analytical analyzation of ideas and ways to grow, wanting to reveal blind spots, all kinds of neat things. Now is the time. It's out there and let's talk. Let's discuss what, uh, what all this stuff is and where it fits into human culture in 2015 and beyond. Good morning! Today is December 31st, 2014, the last day of 2014, per a photo here on the bookshelf, the end of d democracy, 1214. Wake up, a picture... I snapped a couple of years ago. The trinket was Admiral Thumpington. So it was in the beginning of the year. And this is one of the upsides of having trinkets. In each photo, essentially the trinket gives into a, a timestamp, in a sense, uh, an approximate time, quite some time ago. And this graffiti of the end of democracy 1214 
perhaps does mean 2015 will really have some great changes. That's how I interpret it, as the end of democracy as we know it, potentially. What does that mean? How democratic is our system now? This generation coming up is identifying what is democracy, as well as beneficial components for the masses rather than the few. I think this is a sign of democracy, a consideration of the masses over the few. Perhaps one of the tenets of Stoicism, another side note, I listened to a great podcast, Rationally Thinking, I believe it was episode 124, about Stoicism. And uh, <laughs> yeah, Mustachio just reminded me too, in the podcast, they had spoke about Spock being uh, modeled after Stoicism. And a couple days ago, we had one of our subjects as Spock and the Vulcan language. What is it based off of? And the conclusion Mustachio and I came to was uh, logic and honesty. The refrigerator is a noisy little bugger. <laughs> Every now and then it has this high-pitched sound. I was trying to figure out what it is. I was just the fridge being a little noisy pants. All right, <laughs> back to Spock and Vulcan and stoicism and honesty and logic. Having words based off of honesty and logic. After being exposed to the podcast, which summarizes stoicism, which I'm unfamiliar with. Tim Ferriss of the Tim Ferriss Show and uh, from Tim Ferriss. <laughs> he speaks of stoics and all this stuff, but I still don't really know what that means and especially what it means to him. And I think that's important when being a speaker is to clarify terms, especially terms which are repeated and open to interpretation. Stoics, Stoicism, uh, there's many tenets within Stoicism. I feel as though each person will interpret it differently. And that's what I love about the Rationally Thinking podcast. One of the hosts is a bit more Stoic than the other. For me, there was a distinction in the questions, in the comments, into which one of them, in my opinion, tends to lean more towards conversational components, which have logic and honesty, whereas the other one was a bit more assumption-based and kind of judgmental, in a sense. Where does that leave us today? <laughs> Up in the corner of the whiteboard was a potential book title. Sat there for quite some time, a couple weeks, I imagine, kind of slowly updating it and poking around at it. So today we are going to talk about potential book stuff. Um, the manual is just too overwhelming. And uh, that's kind of, that's like my baby. That's the big thing. I would like to first publish something a bit more... Um, <laughs> A bit more digestible. I think that's what I'm going for is digestible. The manual, my other writing is, fuck, some of it I don't even understand. <laughs> so I need to further break it down and it has to do with a timeline, which there are many notes and scraps and things that I would like to input and include into it so it's um, more detailed than it is now. So that's not ready yet. That's, I'm going to push that back a little bit. 
So for now, I want to have something which is concise and digestible and available for purchase. So I can somehow monetize what it is that I'm doing without sacrificing my principles. What a strange concept that is. As of now, I have time. That's one of the greatest gifts of life is time. In the past, I have not had time. I was working for someone else, sitting in a desk in a classroom to get that piece of paper. I was on someone else's schedule with someone else's uh, uh, motives, agendas, all that shit. So now I'm free of that. And I recognize this is a gift. It's a gift which soon must come to a close. <laughs> and it will be time to reemerge into the world. But as of now, I can think <laughs> clearly. I'm happy. I, uh, my weight is in check. I enjoy working with Mustachio as my partner. It's badass. And with that comes a certain type of higher consciousness and clarity. And so the objective now is to put higher consciousness and clarity into some sort of readable format, the pre-manual. These are lessons which I've learned through writing, through having the process of putting words on a page, reading them over, and learning my mistakes. Very early days of the manual in 2004 were on an older laptop and I was unable to transfer it. The word programs were so outdated. The, the old one I don't even think was ever hooked up to the internet. I retyped it and uh, transcribed. And with that, I learned a lot about my own language. Then I learned how to look more deeply. So yes, in essence, if I were smarter, I would have been able to take the easy route and find a conversion program to change the old Word document into the current edition I was using. In some ways, I kind of liked it. That's what I would do when I lived in Pullman on a Friday or Saturday night, my free time, set up shop in front of the TV, watch a cool TV show or movie in the background. I think that's right when I learned about streaming Netflix. So that was badass. And it was some reflection time. Uh, Masashi and I do encourage reflection time and methodical, in a sense, introspective activities such as transcribing reflection writing. Yeah, so I am 33 as of now. The education I hold is a BS. I always, uh, <laughs> I love that, a BS degree, a bullshit degree. No shit, eh? <laughs> God bless America. So I have a bullshit degree in psychology with a minor in criminology. So these are thoughts of a layperson, essentially. I looked into the master's program and no fucking way. I was not going to be somebody's monkey. I had uh, uh, an instructor who just was a grad student and, in my opinion, hated life. And then projected that onto the hundred or so students paying a couple thousand dollars to listen to him speak, and I did not want to be a part of that system. Thus, I moved to Spokane and, and am just been on hold, been in the cave, breaking down linguistics, getting out my frustrations. 
uh, that's what this is. I'm, I mean, I'm not going to bullshit. I'm not. This helps me to reveal, reveal. Look at that Freudian slip. <laughs> it does. It helps to reveal my frustrations as well to heal. Uh, that was the intended word, but reveal was uh, what popped out. One of the topics we'll be discussing today is the subconscious conscious connection with linguistics as demonstrated right now with the quote-unquote Freudian slip of saying reveal. So I am revealing to all y'all my frustrations. If there was a 3H2 planet <laughs> room gathering whatnot, I would at this point in time, today, December 31st, 2014, at 33, would prefer folks I communicate with to examine these components. If these nine categories are given conscious thought, the effectiveness of a conversation will bah, skyrocket. It'll be like a firework on the 4th of July. So I've been studying these for quite some time. They have moved from subconscious to conscious thought in writing them down and breaking it down and all that stuff. When I speak to people and these nine are present in a hindrant way, it drives me crazy. So let's go ahead and dive into it. I'm being all ambiguous. I don't like being ambiguous. So let's go ahead and jump in. So the title, working title, Mustachio's excited about this one. He really helped. Although it is still in a negative tense, may need some more reworking, but here we go. The word you misuse. And then the subtitle is Revealings of Pish Posh Conversational Train Wrecks. So Revealings of Pish Posh Conversational Train Wrecks. Yeah, we tend to like to speak in the positive tense, but conversational train wrecks, that's kind of how I feel. As we were talking earlier about my frustrations, these are all the things where I listen to podcasts, I speak with people, and sometimes I feel as though I have a stronger grasp on the person I'm speaking to's subconscious processing than they themselves have. It's frustrating and I, and I would like to voice it and say, hey, you know, right now the word you is misused. Explain more deeply about the, the subject, which is desire to be conveyed. Yeah, so here we go. The word you misused. Revealings of pish posh conversational train wrecks. Number one. Examine the word you. What does it represent? Number two, tense of the speaker for the self. So ways that there is the self-distinguishing word, like verb, conjugate, all that shit, the technicals of linguistics, Pfft, no. But the layperson's conversational, yes. Any of y'all who have taken a, a university or high school, maybe even language class, where it's conjugate the verb and blah, blah, blah. It's so fucking boring. I get Ds in any language class I take. But then conversationally, speaking with people who speak Spanish, that's what I've studied for four years and only have basics, is because of the structure. It's all, it's way too structured. Not a fan of ultra-structured, pish-posh, blah, blahs. So that is a caveat of today. This type of conversational train wreck is real-time applicable. There are tips and perspectives which can be utilized today. When I took the other language, I had to learn what 
you know, transitive verb meant and all that shit. It's just insert transitive verb here. What the fuck is a transitive verb? I, ah, so frustrating. So none of that. <laughs> that too is pish posh in my opinion. And when I look up language uh, informational things, it's, it, it tends to be more on that side. So this is the layperson's guide to conversational train wrecks for added flair. All right, tense of speaker for the self. So you, I, we, my, us, these ways to either call the self as an individual or a part of a group or whatever that is. So we're gonna explore the different potential ways to say I in a sense. Three, pish posh words to omit. That's a big one. We are now up to 20. We have 20 pish posh words with a few categories rather than specific words. So we'll dive into that as well. Number four, vocal volume. Be cognizant of excitement. And just overall, I call it octaves. <laughs> hey, can I get an octave? You know, can you click it down a notch? Uh, so vocal volume. Five, speak in the pink zone uh, equals logic and honesty. So we'll dive into what is the pink zone why is that different than the yellow zone? So the pink zone is tangible, in a sense, objective content, whereas yellow zone is so subjective it's hard to grasp. Six, ingest, reflect, and modify. We'll explore learning. What, what does it mean to learn? What is knowledge? What is truth? These types of questions. Number seven, concise and digestible. A complication I have with the university system is that it is not concise nor digestible in my personal opinion for the majority, where I would have to read someone's long fucking 10-page theory and then memorize all kinds of shit and then regurgitate it on a piece of paper and then I received another piece of paper and it was so bureaucratic and bullshitty. <sighs> no, so con concise and digestible, like here, one through nine. Yeah, it's not the whole shibizzle, but it's something. It in itself can be informative, concise, and digestible. Number eight, conscious and subconscious selection of words. Conscious and subconscious. What, what do these mean? What, what are they? How do they contribute to linguistics? And those who study linguistics or have an intuitive sense of linguistics are able to sometimes see the other person's perspective more deeply than themselves. So that's some, some crazy awesomeness right there. And number nine, understand the self. Define health, happiness, and a humble perspective. One of the largest catalysts for speaking effectively is understanding the self. Many of these pish posh words, the vocal vol volume, speaking in the yellow zone, these things happen in the subconscious mind. The person is not essentially aware of it. I would take it akin to someone who bites their nails uh, subconsciously. Yes, there is knowledge of the action, yet consciously it's silenced. Uh, I feel as though understanding the self, being able to define health, happiness, and a humble perspective on an individual level is huge for self-discovery, then once that self-discovery is made, that's essentially the bridge between conscious and subconscious thinking, is 
self-discovery, understanding the self, understanding one's own character, having a individualized identity, yet able to be a part of the, the herd as well. So we'll explore that in number nine. Thus far we have the word you misused, revealings of pish-posh conversational train wrecks. And I started off with the word you misused because that's the one that drives me so crazy. Absolutely fucking crazy. <sighs> I listen to many podcasts and then the folks will say, you know, when you submit a study, you have to have 0.05 effect. And then when you okay the study, then you get back. But I mean, it's just like fucking people using the word you to mean several different others. And it's illogical. Yeah, it drives me crazy. And I think that that is the two hugest ones. So perhaps subconsciously this was planned out, but not consciously. Number one, examine the word you. What does it represent? And then number nine, understand the self to find health, happiness, and a humble perspective. So these two, that's like the bread in this sandwich of deliciousness. <laughs> and they perhaps are the structural components, the big pieces which hold all the little detail together. So if uh, there are two points made within today's radio show. Please allow them to be. Examine the word you. What does it represent? When speaking and saying you, who is you? And number nine, understand the self. Define health, happiness, and a humble perspective within owns individualized mind. All right, so number one, examine the word you. What does it represent? What does it represent? So in that little feel about, you know, the speaker using you to mean me, the audience member, the researcher, the person who okays the researcher, and then I think even himself. For me, that is just a shitstorm of illogical speakings. And yes, I am able to assume what he's talking about. And this is where the danger sets in. Rather than him speaking about who who the researcher is. When the consumer reads the research, which was stamped and approved by the bureaucrats of the APA, then Monsanto grants them money, grants the researchers money. So like that, okay? I think that's a little bit better than when you finish it, then you approve it, then they give money. It's just a shit show of assumptions. And these are smart people. Real, real, real smart people. Beyond me, that uh, gentleman I was listening to yesterday about the psychology statistics and things uh, is much more educated than I. So um, I don't fully understand why I'm able to break down you and point out its fallacies and why every, not every, we'll get into that in the pish posh words, that is an absolute. We try to shy away from absolutes. So frequently, for the most part, I'm able to hear and register consciously when a person uses you incorrectly. And I've noticed in speaking with Brian and some of my friends, which I've pointed this out to, there is a, uh, an aha moment where it's realized. 
that you is being misused. So I recognize that this is a hidden thing. Most folk don't give it conscious thought. And this is where individual human awesomeness comes in. This is my thing, bread and butter and things that I am passionate about is <laughs> revealings of pish posh conversational train wrecks. Do I know the optimum way to use a kettlebell? No. Do I know all the, okay, going on a tangent here. <laughs> Be cognizant, examine the word you. What does it represent? Um, it's gonna take time and I would strongly recommend having a partner for this one. I feel as though it is most likely a subconscious not necessarily a defense mechanism, but it's a subconscious, uh, conscious disconnect between misuse of you. So an example of that yesterday, Brian called his dad to thank him for the food processor we received for Christmas, which is awesome. Didn't even know what a food processor was, thought it was a glorified blender which in a sense it may be, but it has all kinds of chop functions and it's super sharp and all kinds of cool things. So he thanked him and he called him and said, thank you for your food processor. And it was funny, his dad corrected him and said, no, that's your food processor. So that's kind of a, an instance where, yeah, it may not seem like it matters, but it's noticeable. Be cognizant of the word you, who is you? The two kind of tips I have for diving into this would be have an accountability partner, someone who is like a, a coworker, a best friend, perhaps the person who is conversated with the most. That's the one I would go for. Um, have that person be an accountability partner, as well as in text, emails, conversations. There are highlighting features to highlight the word you and then put it through the count checker thing or whatnot. So uh, be creative with it, with discovering what does the word you represent. The second one would be to omit it. I was speaking with a friend about this and she had said, oh, well, you can use the word you correctly. What's wrong with that? Nothing. There's nothing wrong with using it correctly, but I would say with confidence, approximately 90% of the times I hear you, it is being misused. This word is grotesquely mis misused. I would just say omit it. Quit cold turkey. Examine the word you. What does it represent? Give details. Say who is you. And if it is I, say I. I walked out to my car and I kicked the tires. You walked out to your car and you kicked the tires. How many people walked out to their car this morning and kicked their tires? Probably not too many. Use the I tense. All right, number two, <laughs> here we go. Jumping into tensive speaker for self. You, I, we, my, us, the tensive speaker. So this is kind of one step beyond the whole you thing. So whoosh, step two, you know, you has been removed. Now there can be a greater focus on the I tense. What is the grouping and how specific is it? And two, I've noticed my, my is a possessive. This is, can be dangerous to have a possessive. Technically, do we humans really own anything? Mm, perhaps not. Material possessions, relationships, these things that we as humans quantify as my is not always so. 
for tense of speaker, those who use my a lot tend to have a disconnect with themselves and have complications defining health, happiness, and a humbled perspective. Um, I have one friend who always uses a, always, so always is an absolute. That's me throwing emotion into the pot for dramatic effect. But to be speaking from a more logical perspective, I would say frequently, but less frequently this last visit. Uh, I'll even go as far to say a couple years ago, it did feel as though almost every subject was my. And speaking about work things, you know, my desk, my machine, my dispatcher, my building, my truck. It was my. I thought that was strange. And then I even said, I said, you own that truck? You know, that's yours? She's like, no, but it's works. And uh, yeah, so be mindful of my. And two, to take it a step farther, my in terms of relationships, that can be kind of strange. You know, my boyfriend, my dog. I haven't, I'm diving into that now. I don't fully grasp the consciousness emotional components of my, but in terms of possession, like my phone, my car, my desk, be cognizant of this. With material items, are they really ownable? Not really. And I think changing my and disconnecting from that almost in a sense need to possess. That's what my reveals is a need to possess. Why is there that need to possess? So be cognizant of the tense of speaker. So you, how is that being used? I, uh, we, is we true? So sometimes I'll hear folks say statements such as we all love steak. We are tired when we wake up in the morning. This is kind of goes back to the misuse of you. It's assumption-based rather than logical-based. Be cautious when using the word we. Do we all? Do we get tired when we wake up? Fuck no, not me. I wake up, I'm like, bam, let's start the day. Come on, mustachio. We have a whole whiteboard full of info. Let's do this. So uh, be cognizant of the tense of the speaker and the assumption-based groupings. That's really what this boils down to is assumption-based groupings as opposed to offering logical statements. And us, another one, us. Who is us? And does those other people designated within the us, is there a shared perspective? So be cautious. All right, here's the big one. Number three, pish posh words to omit. I am going to do my best <laughs> to run through them, and then we'll just take it from there. Uh, there are 20 now, so it's quite a, quite a doozy. So these are the pish-posh words to omit. And number one, you, assumption-based, removes conscious thought and is aggressive. Number two, they, who is they, assumption-based, lazy, lacks detail, Potentially false, obviously. Obviously to who? Arrogant, assumption-based, distanced from second party. Number four, actually. Implies contradiction to majority, lacks confidence. Number five, finally. Reveals subconscious disconnect with action, explain time delay. Number six, girls. Girls play with dolls, women are sexualized. If sexual in nature, use 
the word woman. Seven, should, lacks explicit learning. Subconscious disconnect, explain why. Number eight, can't, said when action contradicts, lacks logic. Conscious, unaware of environment. Number nine, absolutes, rarely accurate, lacks logic. Always, never, every. Number 10, group distinctions, discounts individual perspective when speculating. Number 11, try, lacks logic. <laughs> per Yoda, there is no try, only do and do not. I love that. Okay, number 12, moral judgments are aggressive, lack pink zone content instead of using a moral judgment such as good, bad, wrong, right, explain why. Number 13, impossible, hinders possibilities, creates a negative domino effect, exchange with another word. Clearly, arrogant, subconscious disconnect, watch out, assumption-based. Number 15, make, discounts free will, aggressive, caution for statements saying will make you or implying to make people do something. Number 16, regret. Butterfly effect, potential worse outcome. Exchange regret with acceptance. Number 17, lonely. Potential sign of decreased intelligence. Enjoy solo time. Exchange lonely with reflect. Number 18, bored. Potential sign of decreased intelligence. There is something to do. Improve. Exchange bored with create. Number 19, sorry. Implies regret. Lacks logical explanation. Replace sorry with details. Explaining why there is a need to explain. Number 20, love. Use sparingly. Powerful word. Overuse decreases its meaning and value. Subconscious conscious disconnect when overusing the word love. Whew. All right, so those are the current, as of today, December 31st, 2014, the last day of known democracy here in lovely Spokane uh, County of, right? Mustachio County of Spokane, right by the river. All right, yeah, we will go over the updated pish posh conversational train wreck words. Uh, sometime this week, but that is them in short. One more time, <laughs> be cognizant of using these words or groupings. Really dive deep into subconscious reasons why these are being selected over others. Uh, we talked a few days ago about newspaper headlines. There is thought which goes into that newspaper headlines. Imagine words being spoke our newspaper headlines. It's a summarization of what is going on in the mind. So be cognizant of this. What newspaper headline is desired to be projected? And I recommend giving conscious attention to these 20 words and groupings. You, they, obviously, actually, finally, girls, should, can't, absolutes, group distinctions, Try, moral judgments, impossible, clearly, make, regret, lonely, bored, sorry, 
and love. So be cognizant of these words and uh, what they mean, and especially what they mean in the pink zone, in that zone of tangibility by both parties. So we want in a conversation as a goal, well, so there I may have misused the word we, what I desire within a conversation is to be in the pink zone, is for what I'm saying to be ingested, reflected upon with the other person as similar. Not necessarily identical, but similar. So we're playing the same game. When two people speak in the yellow zone, where one person is from their individualized perspective and the other person is in their individualized perspective, in my mind, I visualize someone with a hockey mask and ice skates showing up at a baseball diamond. You know, it doesn't uh, make a whole lot of practical, applicable, or logical sense. Be cognizant of pish-posh words. Number four, vocal volume. Be cognizant of excitement. Yelling, whispering, ah, drives me crazy. Both ends of the spectrum in terms of vocal volume. When I'm in a crowded restaurant or something, there's an incident recently where there was like a, a circle table, it was loud. Someone at the other side of the circle was leaned back and talking very softly. I couldn't hear shit. Neither could the other people on our side of the table. So we're just like, uh-huh, okay, smile, a little uncomfortable, and uh, read people. So this is why it's be cognizant of vocal volume. Give it some conscious attention. So there's that end of the spectrum where the voice is too quiet. There's a disconnect in terms of the conversation because it cannot be heard. It's lacking. The other end is <laughs> yelling, uh, aggressively speaking. This is something which uh, I often giggle about when it has to do with passion. I have one friend I speak with. He's very passionate about social justice and these types of issues. So when I converse with him, he starts off talking and then talking and then he really, he yells to the point where if I'm on the phone, I hold it away from my head. I know, in a sense, in his heart of hearts, he does not mean to yell at me. In my mind, he's lost conscious control. He has allowed the subconscious to push forth that ego and emotion. With vocal volume, this too has to do with keeping a cool head. So there's that instance where there's that passion and it's the yelling was not directed at me. It was just unknown. Consciously, I don't think he realized he was yelling. That's one of the reasons why my phone calls are much less than they used to be. Be cognizant of that as well in aggressive terms. If there is yelling during a negotiation or an argument, or discussion, any of these types of a different type of heated passion where it's aggressive, intentionally aggressive. Perhaps that's the way to distinguish it. Be cognizant of this as well. I, in the past, would have a terrible time with yelling and all this shit, and I didn't even really know I was doing it. And when I realized I was doing, I thought everybody did that because the majority of people in my, in my environment did. Keep a cool head. With vocal volume, be cognizant of the way the volume is being viewed by others. Put the self in others' shoes. And that whole spectrum. If in a crowded place, speak up. If 
in a heated discussion, maintain cool. So that is vocal volume. Number five, speak in the pink zone equals logic and honesty. So we spoke a few moments ago about the pink zone where it is like Venn diagram, where there's the two circles, like an elephant. Circle on the left, big circle in the middle, circle on the right, they intersect. The intersection, which combines the little circle on the left, the one in the middle, and the one on the right, that middle piece is the pink zone. So that's where what a person is saying and then what is being ingested by another human through their own thought process, neurons, filters, their unique operating system. It's essentially the operating systems agree and they are compatible. That's the pink zone, compatibility of operating systems. Cool, how neat is that? All right, so that's a, uh, that was Mustachio. He was holding up the processors and all that stuff. <laughs> Speak in the pink zone. If there is an error in the communication between the two programs, between the two people, operating systems, then put on the brakes. Ask questions. That's the best way to end up in the pink zone. Ah, and that's the one I forgot. Holy schnickerbockers. Okay. So we have number 10 is uh, tell me more uh, versus no, it's not. Cool. That's the other kind of bullet point come across in terms of optimization of conversation. Those who make it to the pink zone tend to ask questions, tend to say, tell me more as opposed to no, it's not. The ones who say no, it's not are stuck over in the yellow zone, just full of pish posh. Pink zone, logic and honesty. Tell me more. Compatible operating systems. Badassery. <laughs> A goal to get in the pink zone. Number six, ingest, reflect, and modify. Oh, what is this? Ingest, reflect, and modify? It is... They are the components of deep processing and learning is to ingest, reflect, and modify. To ingest and regurgitate is memorization, is the university system, templated education lacking critical thinking and explicit learning. It's just shit. Learning, critical thinking, explicit learning, these beautiful components of knowledge and truth-seeking, I feel, include the steps of ingest, reflect, and modify. So first there is that ingestion. So ingest what the concept is and give it attention. Then reflect upon what the concept means within one's own moral, ethical, and philosophical filters. Then modify. Once information is processed, it will, in large or small ways, be modified. Be cognizant of this modification and allow it to be the foundation of greater thought. That's why the modified stage is important, is the other person or whoever came up with the initial concept to ingest broke down pieces. Work is handed off to the listener. Then there is the reflection stage. And then the modify is handing it off again, allowing another person to ingest, reflect, and modify it as well, building and growing, and uh, bam, technological renaissance in 2015. 
Ingest, reflect, and modify. Ingest, reflect, and modify. Woo-hoo. Woo-hoo. All right. <laughs> Number seven, concise and digestible. Why is it important to be concise and digestible? Uh, there was a gentleman who did a TED Talk. He, how can I summarize it best? How can I be concise and digestible? What I gathered from his TED Talks and his experiences were that children were capable to teach themselves and others big, big deal, either biological or physics or uh, Harvard master's level type shit in concise and digestible ways. And then were tested against people who, you know, did the four to six year education and whatnot. And the children did as well as the full-time college-age students, or in summary of such. So basically the point was, if something is taught being concise and digestible, then it can be learned quickly, rather than memorization. Those Harvard students essentially did a shit ton of memorization. Those kids, they didn't memorize shit. No one was telling them, all right, tomorrow morning, recite the 10 theories of such and such, and who wrote them, the year, the continent. I mean, what the fuck? Who needs all that? So be concise and digestible. Remove all the pish posh. <laughs> and then the point can be understood in uh, much greater terms. That brings it back to the pink zone. Concise and digestible too. Humans don't have real long attention spans. I noticed this with me, fuck. Someone will tell me, will take 20 minutes to tell me that it's raining outside. Well, so then I walked outside and then, and then blah, blah, blah. So I got an umbrella and blah, blah, and it's raining. All I need to hear is it's raining. Concise and digestible. <laughs> Number eight, conscious and subconscious selection of words. So where does the conscious and subconscious come into all this? Subconsciously, we as humans are aware of the plethora of potential words, potential statements, all these things, all the options are available and uh, picked through the subconscious mind. So we've talked before about the telephone operator. The subconscious mind is plugging in those lines and selecting. Two, about the strainer. The strainer which is composed of stigma, stereotypes, past knowledge, memories, all of that. That's the subconscious mind. So the subconscious mind is like the, uh, all of the stuff <laughs> which makes up thinking. And the conscious mind is essentially in ways what is put into action, maybe the best way to, to describe it. And two, with these revealings of pish posh conversational train wrecks, we talk about conscious and subconscious selection of the words. Oftentimes selection of the word happens in subconscious mind where there is a revealer. So with arrogant tenses, oftentimes there is an insecurity. My this, my that. The subconscious mind is choosing the word my and then the conscious mind is speaking it. Introspection can help clarify the connection between these two to where there is a conscious selection of words. One of the goals here is to turn off the autopilot for a little bit on the selection of words because most people don't really 
dive into linguistics, especially the way Mustachio and I do. So it's normal. I don't know. I definitely like the word normal. Um, it makes logical sense. The average person who does not study linguistics is unaware of that conscious, subconscious selection of words. So that's what this does. Moves it from subconscious to conscious. So I could, number one, examine the word you. What does it represent? Using the word you will change from subconscious processing to conscious processing because it's been prioritized. Autopilot has been shut off. It's time to take the wheel in terms of linguistics. So imagine this. We are all fighter jet pilots as humans in this body that we have. Oftentimes in life, we have choices, whether to set it to warp speed or autopilot and everything in between. Giving linguistics the opportunity to hit warp drive oh, is exciting. Doing the barrel rolls, the fun part. As well, it is important to have the autopilot feature every now and then to release control, to have faith in a sense with one's own subconscious in that autopilot, the, the direction of thinking without thinking. That too is a beautiful component. Let's be conscious of pish posh words and then allow autopilot and thinking without thinking to occur simultaneously. Number nine, understand the self. Define health, happiness, and a humbled perspective. What does this mean? This is kind of the thing with uh, 3H2Humans is the health, happiness, and a humbled perspective. After many years of introspection, studying, experiments, these three words really stuck out in terms of individualized perspective that oftentimes in uh, learning environments, they are expressed as absolutes, finite definitions for everyone. I disagree. Health, happiness, and a humbled perspective are individual components with unique definitions to each individual. And defining what health, happiness, and a humbled perspective mean on an individual basis will increase the understanding of the self. It will dive into deeper levels of consciousness, awareness, what it means to be human. That's where these types of questions arise once health is defined and achieved on some levels, as well as happiness. So recognizing the fragilities with oneself and others. So define those, you know, write them down. Give it conscious thought, bring them into the pink zone. Talk to other people about what health, happiness, and a humbled perspective mean and why it may be beneficial in understanding the self, creating a solid identity, living a productive life. I think that's what it boils down to. Tell me more versus no, it's not. Whew. This one was discovered whilst writing in the garage. I was trying to figure out why I enjoyed speaking with some people and was aggravated to no end speaking with others. After a bit mulling around, I was able to break down the different people into two basic categories. So with these two categories, there is a infinite amount of possibilities which go from the category. In part, I think it's a characteristic of some people to kind of lean more towards the 
tell me more mentality or the more protective, defensive, no, it's not mentality. So be cognizant of one's own speech. Let's say there's some crazy story a person saying or a new theory. What is the first word that is muttered? Does it come from an ingest, reflect, and modify standpoint with tell me more as a means to move closer to the pink zone? Or is it no, it's not? I refuse to go there. What I hear when I hear no, it's not. And oftentimes, no, it's not is muttered off of a basic statement. Learning can come from both perspectives. So for me and those in my environment, those who have the tell me more mentality, I tend to go deeper. I tend to show who I am because I feel comfortable. If what I say is misinterpreted, there will be questions. There will be inquiry rather than if I say something and it's misinterpreted to get no, it's not. That is very frustrating, especially when it's emotion-based. If I say, you hurt my feelings, no, I didn't, no, duh, or I make some sort of a statement that's just, no, it's not like that. This goes back to the improv comedy perspective. In improv comedy, the basic foundation is to always agree. Whatever the other person is saying, agree. And I challenge folks with number 10 to do this, to first agree during the ingestion phase. That's it. Then there can be a disagreement in the reflection and then modify, ask a question. There's a logical order. It's not just flim flam, oh, blah, blah, whatever. So <laughs> tell me more. Those no and not folks, <sighs> work with them. Be patient. All right, so these are the word you misused. Revealings of pish posh conversational train wrecks. Number one, examine the word you. What does it represent? Number two, tense of the speaker for self. How, how is it consciously and subconsciously vocalized and what do they mean? You, I, we, my, us. Number three, pish posh words to omit. 20 lovely words and categorums. Number four, vocal volume. Be cognizant of excitement as well as lack thereof. <laughs> Number five, speak in the pink zone. Work towards conversations that contain logic and honesty. Stoicism. So we spoke about that with how Spock talks. Beep, beep, boop, 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 beep, boop, boop. Number six, ingest, reflect, and modify. Number seven, concise and digestible. Number eight, conscious and subconscious selection of words. Number nine, understand the self, define health, happiness, and a humbled perspective. Number 10, tell me more versus no, it's not. Cool. So that's the, uh, the direction we are headed as of today, the last day of 2014. <laughs> I don't know why I'm getting like a Halloween-y effect. I think that's... We got the Sorcerer Furby up here next to the picture of the end of democracy, 1214. I'm wondering what all this means. 2015, there was so much more I wanted to do. But moving forward is the best way to achieve progress. So I must move forward. <laughs> all right, so then, Mustache, where does that leave us with the listener challenge for today is to examine the Goldilocks zone. What is the Goldilocks zone? What does this mean? For me, I define it as 
just right. So the story of Goldilocks and the Three Bears, she sips on one porridge, it's too hot, sips on another porridge, it's too cold, sips on another porridge, just right. So that's what we're talking about, that just right zone. In terms of city, Pullman was too small, Seattle was too big, and Spokane is just right. So sometimes it takes time to find that Goldilocks zone, demonstrative of the continuum in terms of everything. <laughs> there are um, linguistics, actions, emotions. These lie on the continuum of not enough and too much. So examine the Goldilocks zone. One of the meanings of life is to find the Goldilocks zone for each individual aspect of life. So essentially, I think what this is alluding to is moderation. That Goldilocks zone uh, is in, in a sense moderation. Hmm. And I think of that with the Pullman Seattle scenario that yes, this is essentially the in moderation zone where it is not too isolated and then not too lost. Okay. Perhaps the meaning of life is to find the Goldilocks zone for each individual aspect of life. Explore continuum of possibilities. Before locking in a absolute, I think it's important to explore all the different components. Sip that, sip them porridges. <laughs> you know, sometimes we may think the too cold porridge is just right because it's all that has been experienced experience. An amplifier to finding Goldilocks zones can be random exposure to unique thought. So it's that unique thought coupled with random exposure that creates blind shithouse luck type of markers on the continuum. Where for me, sometimes I may not have known there was a marker that far in one direction or another. Exposure to unique thought in a random way. So how does this help with the Goldilocks zone? I think it uh, increases the, the size of the possibilities of the avenues to explore. It amplifies it. So for the listener challenge for today is find the Goldilocks zone, discover it, whatever that may be. And two, even something like a temperature. What is the Goldilocks zone for home temperature? Sometimes people set the thermostat a certain way because someone said to, or that's how it's always been done, or some other pish-posh nonsense. Explore. Have it a bit colder for a couple days. See if that's tolerable. Crank it up. Have it hot. See how that feels, and then find the optimum, optimal temperature as an example. So explore. Explore around the house. Explore within oneself, the job, all of these things. What are potential Goldilocks zones? Where is that sweet spot? Hector, blind, shithouse luck, awesomeness. The Goldilocks zone. Porridge that is just right. All right, so I think that is about all for today. It is the New Year's Eve day. Yesterday it was 12 degrees whilst jogging. So today... I am going to bundle up. I do think of hot summer days, how essentially these winter temperatures are in a sense needed for the ecosystem and as a reminder of the power of mother nature and how lucky I am to have a home 
in a heater, multiple layers of clothes to jog in. All right, Mustachio and I would like to wish everyone health, happiness, and a humble perspective. Diligence today equals a thriving community tomorrow. Enjoy.